All right. Well, how's it going, Cornerstone? Good. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. Hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, as you've already heard, this is a family service, and it's a family service at all of our campuses. And because we've got kids and students in the room, I think it's only appropriate for us that we would ask all the kids and all the students a question about your parents. Now, we want your honest answer about your parents. Now, don't be influenced by the fact that they're sitting right next to you. And don't feel any pressure that other people might be watching to see how you answer this question. Now, let me give a little bit of context, though, before we get to our question. It's during this time of the year that your parents are beginning to think about what's called a New Year's resolution. If you don't know what a New Year's resolution is, that's totally fine. Just a fancy way of saying this is the time of the year that your parents are beginning to think about a new goal or a new habit that they want to stick to for the whole year, okay? So a good example of a New Year's resolution would be that you would uh, make your bed before you go to school every day or that you would clean your room at least once a week for the whole year or that you'd be really nice to your brother or sister. But your parents, well, they tend to have different resolutions. Their resolutions tend to be to save more money and to spend less money or to eat healthier or to fit into a smaller pair of jeans or that they would stop using sugar consumption as a coping mechanism to deal with the insanity of raising kids. Now, a few more things that are really important about this. Uh, there are goal setters and non-goal setters. There's really just two groups of people. And they know who they are, and they're proud of it, which is awesome. But here's what happens with goal setters and non-goal setters. They get married. <laughs> the other thing that's really important for you to understand is that most adults, they stop their New Year's resolution by January 12th. So for many of your parents, they will have quit this new goal or this new habit they said that they're going to keep for the whole year, for, and they'll quit it before many of you return back to school. All right, so do you think your parents can keep their New Year's resolution? No. Now. <laughs> wow. All the kids and students in Danville and Walnut Creek and Hayward, Brentwood and Livermore, look at me. Don't look at your parents. If you're looking at your parents, you're already doing it wrong. Look at me. If you think your parents can keep their New Year's resolution, raise your hands. Not bad. Seen a few hands. All right, if your hand is raised, your parents are so proud of you right now. <laughs> now, if you don't think your parents can keep their New Year's resolution, raise your hand. Oh, way more hands. And we know who the honest ones are. Now, to be fair, I've quit the majority of my New Year's resolutions. I've quit the majority of them over my life, and most adults that I know quit theirs as well. But the more I've thought about my resolutions, the more it was clear to me that my resolutions have to do with who I am. And my guess is that your resolutions have to do with who you are as well. So, who are you? 
So imagine it's the first day of the new school year and you're coming in late. And so you skid into your class and you grab your seat just before the tardy bell rings. And the teacher stands up and says, because it's the first day of the school year, I want all of you to introduce yourself. And she points her bony little finger at you and she says, let's start with our last arriver. Who are you? And you confidently say, I'm Chris Cool. She says, wrong. That's your name. Who are you? Oh, I'm the student body president. Wrong again. That's what you do. Who are you? Oh, I'm a senior. Nope. That's what grade you're in. Oh, I see where this is going. I'm an American. No, that's where you live. Now, you could be tempted to say, well, I'm a varsity athlete or I'm on the honor roll. If someone asked me that question, I'd probably start off saying, I'm Matt Warner. No, that's your name. Oh, okay. I'm a pastor. No, that's what you do. Who are you? Oh, I'm part Irish. No, that's just part of your family's history. Oh, okay. I'm a nice guy. No, that's what people have just said about you, or that's what you think about yourself. Now, I could say that I'm 6'1", and that I have blue eyes, but who I am is far more than my outward appearance. For example, if you chopped off my arms and my legs, would I still be me? Yes, of course, because who I am is far more than my outward appearance. What's fascinating, though, about this question of who are you is that we often act like we don't need to take this question to heart. We often act like, oh, I know who I am. I don't need to think about this. But if we were really honest with ourselves, if we could take an x-ray view of what goes on in our heart or the thoughts we have in our mind, we'd have to be honest and admit that more often than not, we identify ourselves and other people by their outward appearance. We identify ourselves and other people that we meet based upon how tall they are or what kind of shape they're in or how they look. We tend to believe things like good looks plus popularity is who you are. Or we tend to identify ourselves or other people based upon what they do. We say, oh, I'm a doctor or I'm an attorney or, oh, they're an accountant or they sell real estate. And as adults, we can be honest here. Adults, we often believe that a great job plus great things is who you are. Now, I believe here in the East Bay, it's really easy to fall into this trap. It's very easy to think that a life without these benefits is equated to hopelessness. Because I believe here where we live, it's very easy to have a performance-based worth. And we can even struggle with this in the church. When we're asked to identify ourselves in relation to our faith, we often identify ourselves by our theological views. We say, oh, well, I am a Catholic, or oh, I'm a Protestant, or I'm a charismatic, or we talk about our role in the church. I'm a kids volunteer, or I'm an usher, or a greeter, or I volunteer in middle school or high school ministry. But, and this is important, is who you are determined by what you do, or is what you do determined by who you are? 
Now, at first glance, these could seem like the exact same question, but they're not. They're talking about very different things. The reality is the second question is the right question, because who you are determines what you do, and it's not what you do that determines who you are. And that's a very important distinction that we should make before we enter this new year. And before we begin to even think about or plan or dream what kind of goals or habits we might want to have this next year. And here's why this is important. Because understanding who you are determines what you do. Now, if you're a kid or a student here, this is where you find your first fill in the blanks. Understanding who you are determines what you do. Now, if you don't believe me, if you don't think that's true, all you have to do is look back in our American culture over this last year, and you'll see that it's true. Because we've seen some amazing things that have happened. We've seen people that have spent their entire lives growing in their influence and their power. We've seen uh, people that are super gifted and talented, great entertainers who are considered the top of their industry. And we've seen some great, very gifted athletes who are now household names because they're so good at their sport. And so we've seen people of influence, these entertainers and these athletes, and we've seen them do some things that were very unintelligent. Some things that lacked good judgment and good character. And what's interesting is even though there are very gifted and talented people out there in the world, some of them don't know what you know. And that is understanding who you are determines what you do. And we see the same thing in the Bible. The Bible tells us over and over again that who you are in Christ determines what you do. And we see this in a lot of places in Scripture where we see this in Christ phrase. They're all over the Bible. The Bible says we are free in Christ, that we have been made alive in Christ, that we have faith, grace, and love in Christ. You see, the Bible gives us a very different idea. The Bible says you plus Jesus is who you are. And the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today is probably one of the most well-known in all of scripture using this in Christ phrase. And it's written by the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it says this, therefore, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Before someone accepts Jesus' free gift of eternal life, they are without Christ. But the moment someone says, I believe in Jesus, I believe that he came and lived and died on the cross to pay for my sins. And because I believe in him, I now have eternal life because he was, he was not even held down by the grave. He conquered the grave. As soon as someone believes that they're just not turning over a new leaf. They are a brand new creation. They have been given new life. And because of this new life, they are, as the scriptures say, a new creation, which brings us to our first takeaway point. You are a new creation. 
Now, just because you're a new creation, that doesn't mean you won't have struggles. And just because you're a new creation doesn't mean you won't be tempted to do things you know you shouldn't do. But the Bible is clear. You now have the power to say no to sin. You don't have to give in to your temptation anymore. The Bible says that you're no longer a slave to sin. When we understand who we are in Christ, it influences our choices and our decisions. Imagine for a moment two typical high school macho guys. All right, we'll call them Tank and Turk. And like most high school guys, they kind of view themselves as skin-wrapped packages of taste buds. And they can eat anything and everything in sight, not caring at all about its nutritional value. And like a lot of high school boys, they like to play video games late into the night with their friends. And who can blame them? Because who doesn't like to play video games? But as they're running around school, chasing their buddies after school, the track coach noticed how fast they were. And he said, wow, Tank and Turk, they can really run. Well, eventually he caught up with them and he said, hey, you guys should come out for the track team. And Tank and Turk said in unison, nah, we're too busy. Well, the track coach wasn't going to take nah for an answer. And so he eventually convinced them to at least try the track team. Well, they came out and they quickly learned that they really could run. Well, they started to go to more and more practices, and it finally dawned on them that if they ate the right way, it would help them with their races. And so they stopped eating like hamburgers and junk food and like candy at lunch, and they started to get the proper nutrition that they needed. And they quickly realized that if they got the right rest, it would help them as well. So they stopped playing video games late into the night, every night with their friends during the week. And they soon began to win every single race that they were in. And then they got invited to the big state track meet, the big championship. And they got there early and they began to stretch and warm up. And one minute before their race started, guess who showed up? Their friends with these big bags of fast food and junk food and, and candy. And they said, Tank and Turk, hey, we just bought the latest video game. You got to come with us. Come on, let's go. And Tank and Turk said in unison, no way. And their friend said, why? Come on. And they said, because we're runners now. And we're here to win this race. Well, what happened to Tank and Turk? These were still the same guys that could mow down like three hamburgers, two bags of french fries, and a liter of Mountain Dew without even like batting an eye. These were still the same guys that loved to play video games late into the night with their friends. But their identity had changed. Their perception of themselves had changed. They now view themselves as lean, mean, running machines. And they were there that day to win that race. And the offer from their friends, well, that was in conflict with how they saw themselves and why they were there. You see, understanding who you are determines what you do. 
Now, if you're a kid or a student and you love junk food, if you love video games, that's okay. That's not like a sin in of itself. But what we're learning is that when you understand who you are in Christ, it influences your choices and your decisions. Well, Paul goes on this passage to give us more details about how we are a new creation. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And I love this part, not counting people's sins against them. This is so powerful. You have been reconciled with God. That means God has brought you back to himself by blotting out all of your sin and giving you Christ's righteousness. Well, how did that happen? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, God poured out all of your sin onto Jesus. And he who had no sin became sin for you. And he took the punishment that you deserved and he took it upon himself. And because of that, all the sins from your past and all the sins that you're struggling with today and even all the sins in your future have all been dealt with. It's all been reconciled with God. And that leads us to our second major takeaway, and that's this, that you have a new position. And this new position comes from being reconciled with God. What's done is done with God. One of the things that I love about this time of the year is that it's our Christmas break. So because it's Christmas break, the boys get a couple weeks off of school, and my wife Annie and I take a couple days off from work, and so naturally the pace of things in our house begins to slow down, and we inevitably end up watching several movies, because we are a movie family. Do we have any movie families here? Anyone who, yep, okay, I'm seeing lots of hands, okay. Well, the other day we were watching the Chronicles of Narnia, and the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came on. Now, if you're not familiar with this movie, it takes place in uh, London uh, during 1940, during World War II. And there are four main characters, two brothers and two sisters. And as they're at this home for the summer, they discover this wardrobe. And as they walk through the wardrobe, this big closet with all these coats, they discover this hidden world that they never knew existed. And it's in this hidden world that Edmund, one of their brothers, betrays their family and begins to follow after the white evil witch. And even though he's betrayed his family, King Aslan sends his soldiers to save Edmund, to rescue Edmund, and he's rescued. But before he's reunited with his brother and his two sisters, he has this private conversation with King Aslan. But as he's walking back to be reunited with his brother and his two sisters, you can see it on his face. He's feeling the guilt and the shame and the sadness of what he's done. We'll check out this scene from the movie and let's see what happens.
What's done is done. There is no need to speak to Edmund about what has passed. What's done is done. There's no need to speak to Edmund about what has passed. Edmund had broken some serious crimes, and the punishment for those crimes should have been his death. But instead of experiencing punishment, King Aslan forgives him. And when King Aslan forgave Edmund, that settled it. And the same is true in your relationship with God. Which means whatever you've done in your past or whatever you've done this last year that you're not proud of, that you wish you could go back and change. You wish you could take a time machine, go back and do the whole thing all over again. It's been dealt with. And so that means you don't have to experience any more shame and guilt for what happened this year or for what in in your future, in your whole life, because it's been dealt with. God doesn't hold your sins against you. You have been reconciled with God. What's done is done. Well, Paul goes on to say that not only we're a new creation and not only do we have a new position, but something else comes with that. You have a new responsibility. And in the next verse, he says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. As a believer in Jesus, you have been given the message of reconciliation. This is a great privilege and a great honor, which means you are to be a living vessel, a living example, pointing people to God. In Jesus, God made it clear that he does not keep record of our sins. And in Jesus, God made it clear that he does not hold our sins against us. But he does hold something up to us. He holds up to us the message of reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled with God, God wants us to encourage others to be reconciled with him as well. So, who do you know who's not reconciled with God? What's interesting about this word reconcile is that it's found in other places in the Bible. And the other places that it's found, the word is referring to restoring harmony between persons. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Well, it's during this time of the year that he came. And you know who he or she is. You invite them to come all the time during this holiday season, and more often than not, they say no, but you give yourself credit because you invited them, but you're kind of glad they don't come. But this last time around, you invited them, and you were like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you're going to be able to come. She's coming. And they stayed too long. But you survived. You got through it. You made it, and that's a win of itself right there. But the challenging part is not only are we to encourage others to be reconciled with God, but as far as it depends on us, we are to restore harmony with others. Now, this is super hard. This is like super complicated because more often than not, this has to deal with our family. And family is complicated. 
It really is. Because there's a long history, there's past hurts, there's communication conflicts, there's feelings of being misunderstood, and there's trying to figure out how do I put appropriate boundaries in place. And we could go on and on. But the Bible's clear to us that as far as it depends on us, we're to restore harmony with others. Well, how does all of this relate to you? Well, as for many of us, as we approach this new year, this is a new year of a fresh start, of a new beginning, of kind of getting a clean slate. For others of us, this is a year to have a new goal or to have a new habit that we want to have in place in our lives. But we'd be very smart before we enter this new year to think through who we are. You see, understanding who you are determines what you do. And you are a new creation. You have been given new life. And because you've been given new life, it influences your choices and your decisions. And you, are been get, you have a new position. You've been reconciled with God. You've been brought back to God. God doesn't count your sins against you. But you also have been given a new responsibility. And so we are to think through who do we know that's not reconciled with God and how do I restore the harmony between me and others? This is who you are. And may your next year be marked by these truths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for who you are, that you are a good God and that you love us, and that you're for us, and you prove that so well during Christmas, that you would send your one and only son to come and live a humble life for us, and yet die on the cross so that we could be a new creation, that we could be reconciled to you, and through being a new creation and being reconciled, that we would live a life of responsibility of this message of reconciliation that you have given to us. And so, Lord, as we enter this new year, may we be the kind of people that are thoughtful, that understanding who we are determines what we do. God, may you get all the credit and all the glory for what takes place this next year. And we pray this in the awesome and the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...